on. I'm on Listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Jordan Broking, and thanks for joining us. Tonight, we hear election updates and results. President elect Biden, who will turn 78 later this month, will also set a record by becoming the oldest elected president in American history. Hear more on how local nonprofits like the Women's Opportunity Center are facing challenges. You know, it's been difficult, I think, for us and for the women that we serve. In a story about silence. And you're just completely surrounded by nature and you don't hear society at all. But up first, let's hear what's going on in the Ithaca area with our Community Beat. Tompkins County Health Department receives a $40,000 grant for battling COVID, announced officials. The grant comes from the Kresge Foundation and it will be used to implement a mobile testing team. The target population is around 200 individuals who experience homelessness. According to the health department, the goal is to implement surveillance testing in order to get ahead of potential outbreaks in the homeless community. The program is also contributed by the Ithaca Urban Renewal Agency. A bit of national news but close to everyone's home, longtime host of Jeopardy! Alex Trebek has passed away today at the age of 80 after over a year-long fight with pancreatic cancer. He hosted the show since its revival in 1984, and his calm and friendly demeanor won over many over the years to the game show. A tax increase is expected with the newly approved budget for the city of Ithaca. The budget, which was argued against by the mayor, includes two new positions at the police department and a 7.95% increase in taxes. The new positions are planned to start in July of 2021. Cayuga Chamber Orchestra principal bassist Max Jacob will be hosting a music and art interactive Zoom program on Wednesday, November 11th at 4pm. The program will have attendees create their own works of art to be shared later while he be shared later in the program while he performs a few works from a variety of genres in a program that also includes a Q&A. Registration can be found on the Tompkins County Public Library. A spotted lantern fly was spotted in the Fall Creek neighborhood, announced the city of Ithaca. The fly can damage local greenery and the city is warning its residents to look out for possible infestation. Although the number of flies seen was not announced, the city is asking for people to cooperate and be vigilant. The species are not known to be dangerous to humans. President-elect Joe Biden makes the first Syracuse University alumni to achieve the presidency. The Scranton native graduated Syracuse's law school in 1968. For Celine Tutar, I'm Jay Bradley. Tuesday marked not just election day, but the beginning of a whole week of vote counting for national and local races. While we covered results and updates in the run-up and on election night, how did the races turn out after absentees and more have been largely counted? Correspondents George Christopher, Hamadri Saith, and Christian Matry can walk you through it. The 2020 election has been very eventful, probably a little more than any of us wanted. Now that it seems to have reached its finale, we bring you a quick look into what went down. 
For WICB News, I'm Himadri Seed. I'm Christian Maitri. And I'm George Christopher. Tonight, we're going to give you a rundown of the projected presidential election results, as well as local reaction to Biden's predicted victory and results from New York State's 23rd Congressional District's election. After days of counting, questioning, and discussing, all major news companies have projected the winner of the 2020 presidential election to be former Vice President Joseph R. Biden Jr., who, according to the Associated Press, is projected to have won 290 electoral college votes. His running mate, California Senator Kamala Harris, will make history by being the first woman to become Vice President of the United States, while also being the first woman of African and South Asian descent, the daughter of Indian and Jamaican immigrants, to attain the position. President-elect Biden, who will turn 78 later this month, will also set a record by becoming the oldest elected president in American history. The win marks the end, at least at the moment, of an election that was long, arduous, and a contentious affair for many. It was almost two years ago that the first Democrats declared their candidacy for the presidency. With the primary process with 20 candidates, a global pandemic which transformed how campaigning could be done, and an impeachment trial entangled with the campaign, the process was anything but ordinary. In addition, vast differences in the candidates' approach towards key issues, including the handling of the pandemic, racial justice, climate change, healthcare, and immigration, among others, all combined to make this a landmark victory. A major theme of Joe Biden's president-elect victory speech was creating unity among the American people. President Trump, who will become the first president to lose re-election in 28 years, has yet to concede to the presidential race. In his reaction to the results, Trump said that the election is, quote, far from over, end quote. The Trump campaign has made unfounded claims of voter fraud and other improprieties and has brought lawsuits in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Many of these lawsuits were rejected as they lacked sufficient evidence, and it seems improbable that even the ones that did gain some ground will affect the result of the presidential race. President Trump has, however, still not changed his plans to pose legal challenges to the election outcome, though many of his own top advisors told him that this challenge would not hold much weight. Many Republican lawmakers have not commented on the result. Locals celebrated the victory in Galler. With honking cars driving across College Town, people wearing Biden shirts, and many students celebrating and having picnics. A Protect the Ballot Count rally that was planned by activists from the Just Democracy Coalition on Ithaca Commons turned into a celebration. Bernie Milton Pavilion saw about 200 people gather yesterday afternoon, where activists highlighted that work still remained to be done and that is necessary to hold our leaders accountable. But it was still interspersed with celebrations and dance parties of people finally getting a breath of fresh air after a very tense couple of days. Coming to local races, in the races for New York 23rd District, Incumbent Tom Reed has won a sixth term as congressman, defeating Democrat Tracy Metrano by almost 20 points. This was a rematch of their 2018 race and saw neither candidate pull any punches in their ad campaign. Meanwhile, in the race for the 58th District State Senate seat, Senator Thomas Umara has won re-election with 99% of precincts reporting with a lead of 18 points. Finally, in the race for the 125th District State Assembly seat, Tompkins legislator Anna Kells will succeed veteran legislator Barbara Lifton, defeating her opponent Matthew McIntyre by 20 percentage points. This was an open seat, with Barbara Lifton choosing to retire after this term.
Tracy Metrano thanked all her supporters over Twitter, as did Anna Kells. Meanwhile, Tom Reed, also over Twitter, offered congratulations to presidential-elect Biden. Reed was diverting from other prominent Republicans who have yet to acknowledge Biden as the winner of the election. The 11,000 absentee ballots will, however, not be counted till November 10th, and the Board of Elections expects the counting to take around four days to be completed. Senator Thomas O'Mara took to his social media saying that he was up by 23,000 votes already, and said, referring to his opponent Leslie Danks Burke, that there's no way she can close that 23,000 gap. His opponent, Ms. Burke, however, has not conceded, insisting mail-in ballots could still decide the election. For WICB News, I'm George Christopher. I'm Christian Maitri. And I'm Madri C. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Jordan Brokeng. A few weeks ago, correspondent Antonio Fermi caught up with the History Center in Tompkins County and how they struggled throughout the pandemic. Well, a lot of the other organizations in the area and beyond are facing a lot of unique challenges of their own. Today, he speaks to the Women's Opportunity Center on what they do and how it's been affected. When the COVID-19 pandemic started back in March, the nation entered a massive recession. On a local level, nonprofit organizations have seen their sources of revenue depleting and in some cases disappearing completely. Ithaca is home to an abundant amount of community nonprofits that all add their own distinct qualities to the city's robust atmosphere. And now, their chances of surviving are slimmer than ever. A few weeks ago, I spoke to Ben Sandberg, the director of Tompkins County Center for History and Culture about the capital shortage nonprofit organizations are facing all over the country. For this episode, I spoke to Ryan Harriet, the executive director of the Women's Opportunity Center. Our services we provide are for women who are seeking to go back out in the workforce. Harriet said the organization, which has been in operation for more than four decades, provides services for all women but are primarily intended for stay-at-home moms, women with a lower income, or women that want to get back into the workforce. The Women's Opportunity Center provides customer service training, life skill coaching, and the Mary Durham Boutique, which is a hands-on skill set training where women can enhance their retail marketing or entrepreneurship skill sets. So then the COVID-19 pandemic began, and they were affected just like any other nonprofit organization, and had to suspend their in-person training courses. They were able to resume all of their training programs and their support to clientele through virtual platforms like Zoom and Google Classroom. However, the center still faced some massive hardships during this time. You know, it's been difficult, I think, for us and for the women that we serve, because this is a very safe place for some individuals, you know, that are struggling with different pieces of their life. Once quarantine restrictions lifted, Harriet said that her organization went back to work and kept their doors open for women in needs of basic necessities. Whether it's personal hygiene items or food donated by Green Star Food Co-op, they also kept their computer lab open for women looking for jobs that don't have access to a computer or fast Wi-Fi. I think that we're doing the best that we can to support who we need. You know, of course, we have to make sure that we're aligned with our mission. And then we also are making sure that the impact that our clientele needs, you know, at that moment, we can continue to provide. While Harriet and her team stayed focused on their mission, 
The center had to cut many staff members due to the lapse of funding coming from the New York State Department of Labor. This ultimately made it harder for them to provide their services to the women of the Ithaca community. Typically, the state awards the Women's Opportunity Center around $250,000 a year, and that revenue typically covers their annual expenses. Harriet said they received their last payment from the Department of Labor back in March, which amounted to about $17,000. On October 1st, the Ithaca Times posted an update that the Women's Opportunity Center got word from the Department of Labor that they would be receiving the funds owed to them by the end of the week. The Ithaca Voice and other outlets followed up on the story a week later, saying, quote, The organization will receive the funding it was due for April through July. The month's state funding was paused because of the COVID-19 pandemic, end quote. They went on to say, quote, In total, the Women's Opportunity Center received $80,160 from the New York State Department of Labor for the remainder of their 2019-2020 contract. After receiving their funding, Harriet said she investigated renewing the Women Opportunity Center's contract for the 2020-21 year, but has not had luck forcing the organization to seek alternative funding sources, end quote. So, yeah, these news outlets painted a uncertain future for the nonprofit organization, but I was at least glad to hear they were receiving some funding to hold them over until they found some new sources of revenue. But when I asked Harriet about the Displaced Homemaker program, she revealed something startling. And I've been following the story for a couple weeks, and I was glad to see that you got your funding from the Displaced Homemaker program. And I wanted to ask. Yeah, so let me just. uh, I want to touch on that. We still have not received um, the approved vouchers that they said they approved for um, April 2020 to July 31st. So that $80,000 news outlets like the Ithaca Times and the Ithaca Voice reported the Women's Opportunity Center received in their bank account just never showed up. So we're still waiting for that to be deposited into our bank account. It's been approved, we just haven't seen it. Now, it's not like the conversation isn't happening. Harriet and the Women's Opportunity Center have heard back from state legislators, and in fact, they're having conversations right now about redeeming a new contract for the fiscal 2020-21 year. The amount, just, I have no idea. Like, it's very basic. So, so I would say, yes, it is exciting that we have heard something, you know, we, as to um, once we get that money, that in the deposit will be great. (laughs) The Department of Labor told them the money was coming, but it just never did. Harriet said when she spoke to the media, she was told that somebody had spoken to the budget director at the Department of Labor who said their funding was cut 21% for the whole fiscal year. But Harriet never received any funding since March. I never received anything. Maybe it's been talked about, but as a letter, I've never received. This spurt of media coverage brought attention to the Women's Opportunity Center but it was short-lived. The organization has not been featured in the news ever since. Harriet said while these news stories helped bring attention to the dilemma at hand, it also made some matters worse. You know, unfortunately, I feel like um, it was helpful as to getting maybe the Department of Labor's attention. Um, 
But I think it was hurtful because now community members and other businesses that we work with believe that we are just closed. Harriet said the organization has a skeleton crew providing services to do everything they possibly can. She also touched upon the framing and different wording used by journalists that twisted the community's perception. Now, I made sure to say multiple times that we are open. We are not closed. Like it's appointment only, you know, of course you have to make an appointment. We'll do remote style um, services if that's what we need to do, but we're here. Um, So I keep stressing that because you never want to say that you're closed because then you have to like rebuild that whole relationship of saying you're open. (laughs) The ripple effects of this news coverage didn't just affect the center's funding, but also the relationships they have with community members as well. Because we do a lot of referrals, you know, with individual places like GIAC or with um, Workforce or Challenge, like different other public sectors in this area um, and Department of Social Services. But then we have our funders. You have a group of individuals that support you through, you know, United Way. Let's say we have a funding with them for our training program. So instantly they're like, oh my gosh, did you know the Women's Opportunity Center had to lay off people? They closed their doors. So like, you know, I've had to have meetings to like be like, well, we're, we're here. We're just limited. The Women's Opportunity Center is not alone. Many other nonprofits across the country are facing the same problems as they are funded in very similar ways. Harriet said that she has been speaking with other organizations like the Southside Community Center, which have become integral pieces of the Ithaca community. There's other nonprofits in the area, you know, that mimic kind of what we all do, but where have they cut expenses? Have they had to cut, did they cut in the beginning of the pandemic where we stayed open during the pandemic and had a full team on? Harriet said they thought they would have their own contracts to support them, but since the pandemic crisis is unpredictable, they don't have all the answers. However, there are still plenty of lessons to take away from this. Now, as a leader, you know, it makes me open my eyes and think about like, it's really important to have that next three to five year plan in place and always the worst case scenario to the what is scenario. Harriet believes that as a community, Ithaca nonprofits need to work together to fight this capital shortage. We're in a community, Tompkins County, um, where we depend on a lot of um, foundations or private donors to support the scope of our operations. And so, you know, could we go about it as more as working together? If there's three of us that do maybe similar things, how can we make that all work together? And, you know, I really do think it has to go down to like the whole support that we receive from the donors and funders. When it comes to retrieving help from others, Harriet said it's important for them to become connected to their mission. That always seems to be a struggle for for nonprofits, right? Because you do, you you definitely want to um, have support with from community members, but I think it's that connection. How do they connect to your mission and your vision? And how can they see what they're donating to you or providing to you, even a volunteer or dropping off professional clothing? Like, how is that making an impact to the community? Harriet believes it's important to share stories about the clients that they see. I also share the stories of the growth of an individual. You know, many, many individuals, you know, women, men, they can find themselves on a daily rut of living paycheck to paycheck and want to do better. But, you know, 
it's hard times are things are hard like our mission is to help women you know go back on the workforce but also remove barriers because there's a lot of disadvantages that they've experienced in their life the Women's Opportunity Center has a donations page on their website, but Harriet said people can help in other ways than just providing funding. Some of the things I can always tell you that we are always looking for is personal hygiene, um, little totes or whatever to get somebody back out into the workforce, you know, portfolios or flash drives. Sometimes we need ladies that have gloves or, you know, hats and boots and, you know, they walk and they, so there's so many different ways. Harriet ended our discussion on a hopeful note, saying that the women involved with the Women's Opportunity Center will become stronger through the pandemic. Positive things are gonna come in place for, you know, this is a time for us to regrow, rebranch out who we are and work with even more women that we may have not been able to serve before. This is only one of many episodes I hope to continue producing that illustrates the problems community organizations are currently facing, and more importantly, what we can do to help. The more vocal and transparent organizations are about these issues, the more likely they're able to find help. If you are involved with any community organizations and have a story to tell, you can email me at antoniojfermi at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Antonio underscore Fermi, where you can follow my coverage on this topic. For WICB News, I'm Antonio Fermi. This is Ithaca Now and WICB. I'm Jordan Broking. With the election, continuing pandemic, and more causing a lot of stress for many recently, we thought we'd bring back the story from our old series, Storytelling Spotlight, about a place that exists with a bit less noise. Hi, my name is Matthew Mickelson, and I'm a second year student here at Ithaca College, and I have a passion for nature sound recording. I'm gonna tell you about a magical place uh, that I visited over last summer, and this place is in Washington State in Olympic National Park, which is one of the largest and most ecologically diverse national parks that we have on the mainland United States. And inside of this rainforest, it's a, it's a full-out rainforest, um, is an area that is called One Square Inch of Silence. One Square Inch of Silence was started a few years ago. It's a non-for-profit organization, and what they're trying to do is prohibit any human noise intrusions from one place in Olympic National Park, which is marked by a one square inch stone that was given to the founder um, by the Native Americans. One square inch is one of the only places in the world that you can hear natural silence for over 15 minutes at a clip. If this isn't an impressive statistic, just listen to what the world you have around you right now. You hear trucks driving by, cars, refrigerators, air conditioners. You go to one square inch and you're just completely surrounded by nature and you don't hear society at all. You don't 
don't hear airplanes, you don't hear trucks, you don't hear highways, just nature. I first heard about One Square Inch of Silence actually through just a student on campus. Um, I told them I was an audio engineer and that I'm also, you know, very into nature. And um, she kind of tossed the term around One Square Inch of Silence and I had never heard of this. So I went on Google, found the name of the founder and I emailed him. Um, and from that correspondence has really broken this incredible friendship and bond that I have with the founder by the name of Gordon. After spending those three days with Gordon, you know, I really made the decision that sound recording is is just the, the area of audio that I really wanted to go into. So I go around to any place that I find fit, whether I'm recording the noise from a bus stop or the noise from an air conditioning unit, or if I'm trying to capture bird sounds, because there's something really powerful about separating the sound from the visual. Um, and one of the sounds that you'll hear is uh, the sound of Lickbrook Preserve, which is the upper portion of buttermilk melting this spring. And this sound was recorded in the past three weeks. You don't need a picture. You can hear it. Um, and when you take the picture out, you're able to kind of analyze that sound more. And I realize I'm somewhat of a nature geek, for sure. You know, I'm the kind of guy who stops and listens to the birds and tries to see what kind of bird it is. However, going to this place um, is something that is so different than our ordinary lives. It was kind of hard to fully grasp. And I stood in the middle of this rainforest listening to only the birds chirping and the wind blowing. And I just kind of felt this sense of transformation. And I really realized that we as humans were connected with nature and we're supposed to be connected with nature. It's where, you know, we come from. It's where we eat from. It's nature is, you know, really the largest part of our life. It's all we know. But with all these constant noises happening all around us all the time, even in a beautiful area like Ithaca, it takes away from a sense of connection that we can have. So for the first time, uh, I really felt connected with the environment around me and really felt, you know, as if I was almost one with nature. That sounds terribly corny, um, but it really is. A, that's the only thing I can think of to explain the feeling that I felt is that I'd never really listened to my environment before. I never truly listened to all the sounds that were coming in. I just really came back to the East Coast with a whole new mindset about what is healthy for us to listen to, what is unhealthy, why are so many people experiencing hearing loss. So I really became interested in noise pollution uh, as, you know, a broad term. Um, and I started doing independent research on Ithaca College campus with the Environmental Science Department, researching noise noise pollution. How much do we get? Are there any breaks from this noise pollution? You know, how loud is our campus? Because I think living in Ithaca and being in Ithaca, we think about this area as, you know, so full of nature and so natural and so organic and great. But really, if you listen to the, the city that we live in, it's extremely loud. And you don't really realize it until you experience something like I experienced at One Square Inch. So my newfound goal in life is just trying to get people to listen and listen to every sound that you hear with equal importance listen to the truck driving by, realize how terribly obnoxious that is. And I can't even walk down the road now without thinking like, wow, that car is probably exceeding the 90 decibel noise limit that we have in this state. Or wow, that bird can barely communicate because of the drilling that's going on a block down the road.
and this is Gordon's mission too, is just to save this one place from noise pollution. And it's such a small area, and if we can positively impact that area, it will positively impact all the area around it. Um, and right now we're working towards getting endorsement by the National Park Service um, so we can have the first ever nationally quiet area, you know, endorsed by the federal government. In 15 years, 20 years, the air traffic, like, outlook on what air traffic will be, there's not a single mile that's uncovered practically from the air traffic. So we're really trying to push now to get this spot protected so everyone can come while they're in Washington State, if they ever make it there, and hear what real natural silence is like. Um, and once you hear silence and you realize all these sounds that are happening all the time in our daily lives, you know, especially I feel almost a struggle. Like I wanna, I wanna hear silence again. It just felt so right. I felt so happy and peaceful. And so I just really wanna share nature's music with everyone because nature does produce music that you can actually dance to. And just hearing what I'd never listened to before, it makes me wanna listen to every sound that there is, every sound out there. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. Listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. If you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear the show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from manager of television and radio operations, Jeremy Menard. WICB station manager Sam Ives, program director Lou Barron, and new social media coordinator Gabrielle Topping. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by news director Jay Bradley, with assistance from news managing director Celine Tutar, news production director Kamadri Safe, and today's correspondents Antonio Fermi, Christian Maitri, and George Christopher. All the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at WICB.org. We'll be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Jordan Broking, and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.